Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and this is It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. This month, many are expecting the Supreme Court to overturn the landmark Roe v. Wade decision legalizing abortion. If that happens, 26 states are expected to ban abortion rights immediately, creating a seismic shock to the nation's healthcare system. Abortion will remain legal in California, where last fall activists formed a Future of Abortion Council to plan for how to react when those shockwaves resonate here. The state legislature is considering a dozen measures to protect abortion rights that have been proposed by the council, and Governor Gavin Newsom has promised to make California a haven for people seeking abortion. Still, a lot of questions remain, including how many people are expected to travel from other states to California to seek care? And what will the impact of that influx have on people already living in California, where 40% of the counties in the state don't have a clinic that provides abortion care? To get the answers to those questions, I hopped in a bus to speak to three of the leading abortion rights figures in California. It was a giant bus, painted pink and with the phrase, bans off our bodies, written on the side. It was sponsored by Planned Parenthood with the aim of bringing awareness to reproductive rights issues around the state. Here's who I talked to. Jody Hicks, the CEO and president of Planned Parenthood Affiliates of California. And what happens in a world where people are not getting not just abortion access, but they're not getting birth control anymore. They're not getting contraception. Assembly member Buffy Wicks who represents parts of Oakland and neighboring East Bay cities. So there's a whole suite of things to really make sure that we here in California are prepared to deal with what we think is going to happen with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And Jessica Pinckney, the executive director of Access Reproductive Justice. It's not just about the healthcare itself, but it's do you have a safe home and community to raise your children in? Do you have access to paid leave? I spent an afternoon recently riding around the Bay Area with these three women on that bus. That's why you'll hear some road noise in the background. Here's what our conversation sounded like. I started off by asking Jody Hicks what her biggest concerns are from a California perspective. I mean, our biggest concerns is just access to abortion services. So we know that in California we have good laws, but that doesn't mean that we won't be impacted. So we're looking at 36 million women across the country, 26 states that are about to ban access to abortion, and one in four people need abortion services in their reproductive lifetime. So if you follow that math, people need to go out of the state they live in in order to get care. My biggest concern are two things. One is that so many people are needing care that we didn't prepare enough. I think we've been doing that work for a while now, but ensuring that people's wait time here in California isn't impacted too much. But the second is we don't see the influx of patients that we think will need to come to California because that means that they didn't have the resources to get here, and that that's a fear as well. We don't know how many people are coming to California. I mean, 
when will we know? We don't have a handle on it, right? I mean, I don't know how you do appropriately. We've had this, we've had Roe v. Wade for almost 50 years, and now all of a sudden it's falling and the impact is so swift and so great. And it's so many variables, so it's like it always has been. People with resources will be able to make it out of the state they live in, and people that don't won't. There's a lot that's unknown. Um, I will say we've already been seeing an increase in people coming to California and people in California just calling us for support accessing abortion. Our numbers from January through April of 2021 through to January through April of 2022 have doubled. So on average, we're supporting close to 100 callers a month. So anticipate that that could double, triple, quadruple, who knows, right, Um, after the Supreme Court decision. When we spoke, you had had about $100,000 to spend, your organization had about $100,000 to spend on the services you just uh, just described. How much do you think you'll need? (laughs) Do you have any idea? It's another impossible question. you know, we, we know it's in the millions. Uh, right now, with the $100,000 budget we have, our Justice and Action Fund, um, we are not able to fully support anyone's need. So for an unmet need of $600, we would likely pledge two or $300 to help pay. But we aren't able, with our current finances, to fully fund anybody's care, which is why we're very much looking to local state, local uh, municipalities and the state to make an investment so that we can not only fully support Californians who need support in accessing care, but also the, that influx of folks we're likely to see coming from out of state. When do you think we will know the impact of what we'll see? Is it going to be if Roe falls in June, those 26 states, many of them will you know, be instantaneous bans. As we're recording this uh, today, Oklahoma, before we even know an official word on Roe, is uh, virtually uh, is about to to ban abortions. Are we talking six months, a year? No, I, I think it'll be immediate. I mean, we already have an impact based on just Texas. And just, you know, just to give an example, Oklahoma is one of the closer states, right? So when Texas banned abortion, um, Oklahoma started seeing about half the patients they're seeing right now are from Texas. The wait time for Oklahoma went from about three days to about three weeks. And Oklahoma just today passed an even stricter ban that, that will go into effect that day. And so it's a domino effect for where patients need to go. It, it infuriates me. It makes me so angry. This is not not a procedure that you can wait for. And you have people, many of whom are in the most vulnerable time of their life, who are confronted with very difficult decisions. And there's barrier after barrier after barrier placed upon them. And many of whom don't have the resources to get on a plane and come to California or New York or wherever. So it just makes me very angry. (laughs) Um, Sorry. I just like, like listening to that situation is horrifying. Um, Your question. What is the impact on on uh, our, our health services in California? What's the concern and the, the, about the potential impact of those? So I think one, you know, if you're in a rural part of the state in California, you still have issues to get the care you need, right? And we know that, and our our providers are working to deal also with the folks that are here currently in California. If you're in a rural community, it can be a four, six, eight hour round trip to get the care that you need. But with this potential huge influx of people seeking care here, I know some of the estimates have been one point four million women and if we anticipate that it's 
virtually overnight or very quick short order. We need to make sure that we're prepared. And so I think, at least at the state level, what we have been doing is um, we have a number of bills that we're working. The Women's Caucus is leading the charge on that with a lot of great uh, male colleagues who have lent their solidarity in the fight um, to ensure that there's both kind of the legal protections for both folks in California as well as those coming from out of state, um, as well as then the access and the ability. So one of those things, listening to what Jessica said, is, you know, um, Senator Skinner and Senator Caballero have a bill that um, would create a, um, a support fund where philanthropic funds could be donated so we can regrant those out to California organizations such as yours who are, um, you know, helping to provide some of this care. Private and philanthropic and, and public dollars. Yeah, the public dollars, dollars are to sort of set up the fund, then there'd be philanthropic monies to help um, with some of the funding needs. Okay. So there's about a dozen bills going through the legislature now that would address abortion rights, abortion issues, and uh, access in some ways. What are some of the ones that would make the biggest difference in, in women's lives, people's well, lives? you know, I think the Senator Skinner bill I just mentioned, that which, which would create the fund, I think is important. I know um, Senator Atkins has a bill that would allow um, trained nurse practitioners to be able to perform abortions in first trimester. Um, we have, you know, some of the legal protections work. I'm doing a bill in that space um, that would ensure that no person um, suffers any kind of prosecution or criminal investigation based on pregnancy loss, um, which, you know, we anticipate to hopefully um, get through the Assembly in the Senate. Senator Rebecca Bauer-Cahan has a bill also to ensure that there's no civil liabilities for folks who come from other places to, to seek care. Um, so there's a whole suite of things to really make sure that we here in California are prepared to deal with um, what we think is going to happen with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So you, you, you each mentioned uh, um, some of the access issues, some of the prosecution issues in rural California. Uh, we've had a couple of women uh, be prosecuted recently uh, for having experienced stillbirths after using drugs. How often does this happen? And what is your level of concern about this? You know, my concern is that it's a slippery slope, right? And we see what's happening. You know, we've had, I think, what, 1,300 um, prosecutions of folks who've experienced pregnancy loss over the last, I think, 10, 15 years in the country, right? So it happens. But if you see what is happening and what the Republican Party is pushing and the dismantling of rights for people who, are, um, who need access to this type of care across the state, you look at what's happening in Missouri where um, you, you, they're making IUDs illegal, you know, or IVF illegal, right? Where is this going next? And so that's where I think we have to take a hard line here in California that you cannot be criminally prosecuted for pregnancy loss. On a very macro level, and this is where I'm like the Debbie Downer of every party right now, is what we're, what we're really talking about is if we don't make the proper investments and we have millions of people seeking health care that just don't have any means to get it unless they travel to another place that then is strained and impacted, it doesn't just impact abortion access. It then impacts birth control. So we're going to have some health centers if they're not properly invested in that are going to be so strained with having to provide abortion access and meet those appointments that they won't be able to provide things like birth control, things like cervical cancer checks, things like breast cancer checks and mammograms. And in so California, you're saying. In, if we're not properly investing and preparing, that's absolutely right. I mean, every health center can only do so much with the funds that they have. And what happens in a world where people are not getting not just abortion access, but they're not getting birth control anymore. They're not getting contraception, sex education. Like it, it's a it's a real scary and domino effect if we don't 
make the right investments. And one of the things in the, the, the Future of Abortion Council report that mentioned there was, was needed in California was a, was a more diver, diverse uh, abortion provider workforce and increase in training opportunities for BIPOC folks yep. and others uh, who've been historically excluded from the healthcare profession. I mean, are there, there are not enough um, uh, uh, providers of color, uh, correct? And what's That's uh, correct. talk a little bit about what the impact of that is. Well, I'll tell you one quick story and then pass it on. Is um, We just opened Planned Parenthood Los Angeles just opened a health center in Inglewood and they launched their Black Health Initiative. But part of it is really an understanding that people where we think they might have access just because there's a health center there, they don't because they're not getting the right culturally competent information or um, doing enough outreach. And one of the things that, you know, this is probably not news to other people. It, it was, it was enlightening for me was a conversation with one of our, um, health practitioners who said that they had a patient, a black woman come in and she was five months pregnant and needed care, needed a pregnancy test, but it wasn't what we want it to be is because they needed, they hadn't had prenatal care, they didn't have access, is because they didn't trust the system and they needed a pregnancy test for other reasons, for other social services, but they didn't actually want to see a provider in our in a regular system because they didn't trust it. And so that's the type of the right outreach and work that, that we need to be doing and that's the initiative that was launched in Inglewood because it was this understanding that it's it's more than just plopping a health center down and expecting everybody to come there is a real mistrust of the the medical system and we hear that regularly on our health line um, and so we, you know, we're really supportive of, of the recommendation that we have a more diverse provider network in the state um, because it's imperative not only for Californians, but for folks who are going to be coming from the South, right? Maybe um, from Indian reservations. And so we really need to make sure that there's a provider network um, that can understand understand the moment we're in and really meet people where they are because it's uh, absolutely necessary to ensure that people get quality abortion care. And is there anything else that the Future of Abortion Council is looking at or that you that keeps you up at night thinking, well, we should be doing that? Because mm -hmm. what are some of the things that are they're still being sort of brainstormed out there? What starts to go on in my head is, you know, if we're looking long term, how are we training doctors What's happening to a generation of doctors that are being trained in 26 states that have a procedure that's illegal? And what happens when they can't get trained on a procedure that's important, not just for abortion services, but for miscarriage management and for basic care? And we're already hearing those stories. We already have had a patient in Texas who had to get put on a plane to Colorado in order to get miscarriage management because those providers did not feel safe as this patient is in the middle of a crisis, have to get on a plane. We're already hearing about another patient where the standard of care is a prescription for Miffy and went to go to the pharmacy and they had to prove that they weren't trying to get an abortion. And the doctor had to spend 20 minutes in, you know, how talking you, them into it. I mean, that's, exactly. That's and then we've already heard about somebody in Texas getting arrested because she went to the emergency room after um, medication management. And, you know, so, so it's all of those things that 
I think, you know, again, we have an entire generation that has lived under this protection. And now we have an entire new generation with all of these domino effects that we're not even understanding all the way. We will have more of my conversation about abortion rights with Jody Hicks, Buffy Wicks, and Jessica Pickney after a short break. You're listening to Fifth Admission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And now back to our conversation about abortion rights. I'm riding around the Bay Area on a big pink bus with Jody Hicks, CEO and president of Planned Parenthood Affiliates of California, East Bay Assemblymember Buffy Wicks, and Jessica Pinckney, the executive director of Access Reproductive Justice. Part of this campaign part that you're on the, we're on the bus for is, is asking folks to share their personal stories. Uh, Assemblymember, you did, there was the first speech you gave when you were uh, on the floor, uh, when you became, would you, would you mind sharing your, your story? Yeah. So, um, I was 25 or 26 and was in between jobs and in between homes. I was staying on a friend's couch in San Francisco and I had a unintended pregnancy and, um, I went to a Planned Parenthood clinic on Venice Avenue and, um, sat with them and figured out what I was going to do. And they welcomed me with open arms and strength and compassion and made the decision um, that I was going to get an abortion. And so I did. Um, And for me, that was a very empowering decision in that it was mine. It was mine to make, right? I was not prepared to be a parent. I now have two beautiful little girls who I think are the most beautiful little kids in the whole world, who I love more than literally anything in the world, which I could talk about all day. Um, But I was not prepared for that then. And, you know, I look back at that moment of time and how that was such a critical decision point in my life, you know, because I ended up then going on and working on other campaigns. And I worked for President Obama for six years and I worked in the White House and I met my husband and we got married and all of the things that really that was the life that I wanted. And I was able to fulfill that because I was able to make that decision. And to me, that is what this is ultimately about, is our ability to make those decisions. You know, and then I I recently had um, another situation happen to me back in September where I was um, pregnant and didn't realize it and was suffering from a miscarriage, had tremendous pain, went to the doctor very quickly, um, took a pregnancy test. And, you know, they said, "You're, you're pregnant and you're miscarrying and we need to do... Uh, a DNC now, right now, and that's an abortion procedure, as Jody was just talking about, um, that for me, 
immediately alleviated the pain, immediately addressed the issue, immediately stopped the heavy bleeding that I was experiencing. And I was doubled over in pain. And this was the week that the Texas law went into effect. And I asked my doctor, I said, if I were in Texas, would I be able to get this? And she said, well, legally, yes, because it's not a viable pregnancy. But in practicality, the concern is that providers are not going to provide it. And that is what we're starting to see is exactly that situation. So what would I have done if I were in Texas and I didn't have the money to get on an airplane and come to California? I couldn't drive my car there, right? I mean, and that is that is healthcare. That is what we need. And, and I do think we're going to see providers who don't want to provide these services because they're concerned about the legal ramifications. And Jody, you recently just told your story publicly. I did. And, and you know, I was I was 16 and I grew up in a very rural town, uh, Calusa, um, which does not have a Planned Parenthood in it. And it has one pharmacy and so not a lot of great access for things like birth control, especially during um, those times. And it certainly wasn't something that people talked about. You were 16. Mm-hmm. You found out you were uh, pregnant and then yeah. you but you explain what you did with the notes yeah so I wasn't comfortable I was just you know 16 and all that that means with the relationship with your parents and I was um really afraid and I ended up I realized now intentionally but acting not intentionally that I left notes around the house some of them saying wrote in my journal but left them out and um you know Everywhere from one experiencing suicidal thoughts to being really scared to all of the things. And my mom finally found them, thankfully, and and really did everything that I needed her to do, which is paid for the service, took me. My, my auntie came and supported her so that she could support me. But what was interesting, and, you know, my story's not unique, except that the position I have now to be able to talk about it, but, but you know, we're... Asian background too, so um, added to not talking openly about these types of things and did everything that was right, but we never talked about it again. So before the before the editorial came out, I, I had to call her on a Sunday and be like, hey mom, so this is happening tomorrow. And I said in that um, that I didn't, to this day, didn't know if my dad knew. Um, does he know? Turns out he does not. He may now, but <laughs> but no, that was what my mom said. Is she was like running around the house trying to find a quiet place, and she said, "I, you know, I never told your dad." And the first thing she said is, "I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I never talked to you or asked you how you were." And I was like, "I'm nothing but grateful. I meant everything I wrote. Which I'm nothing but grateful that you were there." And let me just say that's part of the goal here is the control piece of it because. You're surrounded by three strong and, you know, women that are doing, making positive change and doing great things. And that wouldn't be possible if we didn't have some of the decisions that we were able to make. I would just add, uh, I one, I really appreciate um, the sharing of abortion stories. And as a juxtaposition, I'm five months pregnant. And it is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, hands down. And I can only imagine that parenting will be harder. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every conversation. Um, but, you know, being pregnant in this moment, um, the fact that someone thinks that they have the authority or the right 
to tell me what I can and cannot do with my own body is outrageous. Um, you know, as I prepare to bring another human into the world, that is considerable. And, you know, the reproductive justice tenants tell us that it's not just about the healthcare itself, but it's do you have a safe home and community to raise your children in? Do you have access to paid leave to be able to take your children to their doctor's appointments? Is there clean drinking water available, right? Are, are you going to be able to raise your children in a safe community where they can grow and thrive and be part of a broader society? And for people to make that determination about whether or not they have the capacity to do that, we need to trust people in that decision. And it's not something that people take lightly. Um, so I think it's just really important to understand. And also, as a black woman, like I have to navigate the healthcare system. I have to navigate racial bias in the healthcare system. I have to navigate providers as a pregnant person right now who don't listen to me when I say, no, I'm actually nauseous 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you all may think it is a great sign that my pregnancy is progressing as it should, but I can't function as a human being, right? Like that affects someone's mental health. That affects their ability to do their job. That affects their ability to be in community as they need to be. Um, so I just think we need to be able to have this conversation and understand that these issues are not taken lightly and we cannot just talk about abortion as abortion itself. It is an uh, entire landscape of issues. If you can't access basic rights in any other part of your life, then abortion may be the route, route you choose and that is okay. Um, but we need to understand that we cannot separate abortion from conversations about childcare, about paid leave, about the environment, about bumpy roads as we ride down these bumpy roads, right? Like that all impacts our decisions about when, if, when, and how we create our families. And I view all of these things as very connected. And what it ultimately comes down to is a person's ability to make these decisions for themselves and to be respected in that process and to have dignity in that process. And that is what's being eroded away when we look at what is happening with the Roe v. Wade um, case right now. Let's zoom out a little bit across uh, and look at, look at this nationally and politically. We have two political figures here. If you look at the map, the entire southwest corner of the United States, you will not be able to get an abortion. I mean, and, and again, it goes back to wealthy folks will always be able to travel, et cetera, to do that, but they will not. When, you, when we look at this nationally, talk about the seismic impact this is going to have. I mean, you look at a state like Mississippi, where this case is in front of the Supreme Court, there's one abortion provider in the entire state, and it's the most dangerous place to give birth in the entire country. And and maternal mortality for Black women right now is at a is at a rate that's so not acceptable. And it's not it should be something on the front page of every paper every day that in a country like ours we allow these inequities to exist. And I think um, the abortion bans are going to make those far, far worse before hopefully there's a reaction that we can start doing repair. But it really is going to be generational repair and it's going to take a long time. And we need to do what we're doing right now. It's part of the reason for this bus tour is really 
keeping up the momentum of what people are feeling and help helping to remind people that they need to turn that into action. You know, I've got a five-year-old and an almost two-year-old, two little girls. And when I think about the world that they are growing up in, first of all, I'm so glad we live in California. But what if they go to school in Florida or Missouri or somewhere else, you know? What is that going to look like for them? And so I think for many of us, that is a motivating factor, right? And you'll know this when you have a child and you have kids, right? It's like, what is the world that we are creating for them? And so I think that's a motivating factor for many of us. And the fact that they are going to have less rights than I had, than we had, is horrific to me. And so I think it's important, you know, that we're also collaborating with other states. What's happening? What's going on? What can we do? How can we make sure? I know there's other states considering ballot measures. I think Vermont's considering one. New York's taking action. So what can the states do that, that aren't adhering to a right-wing agenda um, do to ensure that uh, this access continues is critical? And I would just add, you know, everyone is so eager and interested to get involved right now. And there are so many opportunities for people to do that. As Jody said, vote, donate. And we also understand that people are in in a variety of different circumstances. So there's also a lot of opportunities to volunteer. We... We train our volunteers to literally drive people to the clinics, to understand the nuances of housing someone in your home. We have volunteers who are literally just on call to provide cash assistance and will Venmo you money for gas or or book your hotel for you on their credit card. So um, please get involved. There are ways to, to volunteer and offer support that aren't necessarily financial but can make a huge difference in ensuring that people can get the care that they need. That's Jessica Pinckney of Access Reproductive Justice. I also spoke to Jody Hicks of Planned Parenthood and East Bay Assembly member Buffy Wicks. I'd like to thank them for having me on the bus and for coming on the show. I'd also like to thank you for listening and hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank the King, King Kaufman, for producing today's podcast. And remember, no matter what the Supreme Court decides about abortion, it's all political on Fifth and Mission.